Hi, this is Chad. I'm so glad to be part of your journey towards product mastery so you can better develop products that your customers love. Today, we're talking about organizational change. As innovators, creating change is what we do. And you may have already learned that change is not always welcomed, such as when the new product you created also cannibalizes an existing product your organization provides. Organizational change and transformation is challenging, and we're going to learn how to navigate it a bit better. Hopefully, we'll learn some things to lead to success here, because our guest, Lisa Carlin, is going to take us through some tactics for that. She is a strategy execution specialist and scale-up mentor and co-founder of Future Builders Group, a network of organizational development specialists. She works with ambitious leaders to turbocharge their transformation and business planning. Having begun her career with McKinsey and Accenture, Lisa's experience has allowed her to achieve a 96% transformation program success rate in comparison to only around 30% success rate as reported by most research. Not bad, Lisa. I'm looking forward to finding out some insights about that. Also, everyone, we always take written detailed notes for you. We also prepare a one-page action guide so you can immediately put into action some of the key takeaways we discussed. This time around, you'll probably find a picture of her framework for creating better transformational success in that action guide as well. To get that resource, go to productmasterynow.com slash 465. This podcast is made possible by the Rapid Product Mastery Experience, the RPM Experience, which helps product VPs and leaders get their product managers and everyone else contributing to product on the same page, working together to increase their performance and alignment to reach those North Star objectives. We meet virtually for nine weeks, 75 minutes each week, and participants learn the seven essential product knowledge areas and build trust and collaboration in the process. And This is really a unique approach to improving the performance of your group. It's not just like other training you may be used to. It is something I have successfully led many organizations through and would like the opportunity to do the same for you. Please go to productmasterynow.com slash RPM to learn more. Lisa, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks, Chad. It's fabulous to be here all the way from Sydney, Australia. We are half a world apart and the internet has been holding up so far. And I, I think this will be great. So transformational change. Let's get a little bit of context here. What do organizations need to transform? And maybe some examples of transformation. I guess the easiest way to think about this is what happens if you don't transform. So if you think about IBM and how they did such a fabulous job at moving from mainframes to PCs, even though the unit cost was so much lower by thousands of order of magnitude, but they did a great job and they're still in the market. And then think about an organization like Kodak. And we all know what happened there. So I guess there's a a lot of things that can happen in the environment that will cause us to change. But overarching, really, it's the need to keep up and the need to keep up with competition. So that might mean a new strategy. It might mean a new sales um, approach. It might mean a new marketing approach. It might mean a new transformation of... So we did a couple of years ago a a transformation of a 600-person marketing organization globally, totally change the way they're working in a fabulous product organization that is extremely successful, was hugely successful over COVID and even wanted to get better. So it doesn't mean that there has to be something wrong. Then you can get cost reduction programs just because of, again, competition and margin pressure and stakeholder pressure. And then there's a whole lot of mergers that are happening. So transformation required there, particularly to integrate and get some synergies. Since COVID, there's been a huge push around transformations. I read a McKinsey study that since COVID, 
86% of transformation, chief transformation officers are new to the role mm. So since COVID. So a huge shift going on in transformation. Of course, digital transformation, I've mentioned it last, but it's probably the biggest. And the stats are somewhere around 80 to 90% of organizations are all doing some form of, of digital transformation at the moment. And then there's a big shift around skills and the skills-based organization and a shift to people are recruiting around skills now. They hire, so hiring for skills, staffing for skills, promoting for skills, rather than thinking about the job design unit. So there's a whole shift around that. And with the, with the shift to things online, it's so much easier than ever to learn things in a digital way and to pick up those skills like your nine-week product mastery course, for example, Chad. Before, if you think back 10 years ago, a product manager wanting to learn their craft, they'd have to go and they'd have to sit in a course and they'd fly somewhere. And yeah, so it's revolutionized the way we need to pick up skills. And we do need to pick up skills because the World Economic Forum is saying that I haven't got the stats in front of me, but it's something scary, like over 40 or 50% of jobs are going to be obsolete. That They said that two years ago. They'll be obsolete by 2025 if we don't do something. Yeah, eventual jobs will be obsolete as they currently stand. So there you go. That was probably <laughs> a longer answer than you prepared for, but be careful when you ask me these things because if it's future looking, I can go on and, and rant about it. But you can ask me if you want me to dive into anything anymore. I'm happy to do that. No, that, that was ac- excellent. Uh, I, long answers work, work quite well around here. The kind of the dimensions there I, I heard that you talked about, there's the external factors like competitors or consumer preferences changing. There's the internal factors of just organizational shifts maybe going on because of uh, what they're trying to accomplish and more success or cost reductions, things going on there. Maybe a stimulus from, uh, which would be an external stimulus from a new technology or a trend to follow. The report you shared at the end there about the jobs being obsolete is probably largely driven by AI, right? A, a large external factor that I'm sure there's shifts in the marketplace and other things too. So lots of reasons why change is needed. The uh, IBM example is promising, right? And the Kodak example is sobering for sure. You mentioned transformational and for digital transformational projects. And that's, you've been doing this for, for quite a while, right? Getting experience a while ago there at McKinsey and Accenture and helping so many organizations with this over the years. Digital transformation probably popped up more recently as part of a transformational change problem to approach. I'm just curious about talking about that one a little bit because it's probably on a lot of people's minds when they think about transformational projects. And frankly, I think at least the way I was hearing it talked about by people maybe just three, four years ago was as transformation as a digital transformation project. That was just a project. They often talked about, we have this manual process we're trying to automate in some sense or get rid of the paper. But lately, they've been talking more about it in terms of this is an organizational transformation. Can you just talk about what you're seeing for digital transformation? Yeah, it's an interesting observation that because, look, digital transformation has been around for as long as digital has been around, which used to be called technology. And before that, it was called computers. And but it's all, all, all technology. And I remember doing a transformation in uh, just around the dot-com crash. Was that 2001? And it was to bring a large global organization into what they called the information age at the time. So they've been doing this all, all, all the time. But what's happening now is 
that it's being seen, as you say, as a more comprehensive change in the organization. So one type of transformation that I haven't mentioned is a cultural change, a cultural shift. And this used to be, when I was doing this in the late 90s, it was a little bit woo and I don't know if you use that word woo-woo in the US, but just a little bit out there. And now it's become mainstream. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It came out of the the woman that I worked with, who's Carolyn Taylor, who's now in the, the Bahamas and wrote Walking the Talk, and she's got brilliant insights into culture. She that, that that whole business started at, out of a very hippie kind of movement originally, and it was seen very non-mainstream. Now people see culture change and culture as a key lever for performance improvement. We don't need to show all those charts showing the the correlation of culture with performance. And what people have, re- what many or more sophisticated practitioners in the transformational change or projects field or strategy execution, and I'll talk about those fairly uh, interchangeably, fairly agnostic about the, the terminology, any kind of change in the organization of which digital transformation is one. Working within the culture is so important and changing the culture is so important to be able to get the take up of the digital technologies. It's not enough just to say we're going to... It's the difference my professor who taught me and when I did my MBA, who, who now focuses on cybersecurity, James Carlopio, he says that he focuses on cybersecurity culture. He used to describe the difference between an installation and an implementation, right? You can't just turn the computer on. You can't just turn, implement. You can't just install a product. You've got to actually implement it in an an organization. So that's the difference. And it's having the folks in the organization embrace and use the new technologies, the new digital tools. That's That's what implementation truly is. That's what a digital transformation really is. It's not just turning on systems. Right. Like any other enterprise change, if we put in a CRM or ERP type system in an organization, it impacts how people work and there's going to be cultural impacts to that. And I always regard culture as the secret sauce of any organization. With my background in engineering, I am quite certain I underrated it for a long time. But it's really is what makes organizations special. And the, the, the culture should be something we pay attention to. Appreciate you introducing that to the, to the discussion as well. I do want to get into kind of however you refer to it. I think of it as your secret recipe for having such a drastically higher success rate in transformation projects compared to others. How have you brought that about, right? What is it you do? How do you approach this? I'm going to talk about three things. I'm going to talk about that that are absolutely critical. One is what I is getting out of the dark room and co-design. Right. One is a multidisciplinary approach, and the third is culture, because culture is absolutely key. And yeah, let me start with getting out of the dark room, because traditionally we saw executives, managers working on a new strategy, could be a new product, new anything, right? New product is also a transformation, by the way, I should have said that at the top of the list, right? Mm-hmm. Because your audience is is introducing new products, that your, your listeners, and those are, that is a, a transformation to the business, particularly if they are significantly new products or significantly new customers that you are approaching that is like a core fundamental part of the business that you're transforming and so I see product 
product transformation as as a really good example of transformation mm-hmm. as well. I should have not seen the, the elephant in the room. That's the most important. Yeah, that's the thing we're here to talk about today as well. And just Going real quick to, on that, Lisa, yeah. sorry for interrupting yes. you. The, um, some products are in some ways an extension of what the organization can do already, right? It's we make printers and now we're going to make a better printer, maybe with a new technology that's faster and cheaper for customers and everything. But we know how to sell that and distribute that. And it's not a big stretch for the organization to deal with that. I occasionally get the phone call from an organization that's really struggling culturally, I think, more than anything. They're recognizing if they don't make a disruptive change to to what they do, they're not going to exist in a few years. And the existing organization really struggles with that because they don't view themselves as in that business we're going from maybe printers to holographic imaging, something outside the space that kills off all the need for printers. Just making that up off the top of my head. And that's really drastic change, right? That's now there's culture factors in place that organizations are rebelling against this change. That's exactly right. So maybe we start with culture, which was the third one I mentioned. Okay. And I'll say that culture can be a prison or a playground for innovation. And so what do I mean by that? Your culture in your organization can significantly hold you back from implementing new products or even coming up with new an ideation of new product design. And we've seen this before, right? In organizations, there's a huge outcry. So think about IBM, just as the example I gave. When somebody started talking about PCs, there was probably a massive outcry from the mainframe product managers who were getting, I don't know what, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars from selling mainframe computers with massive, powerful machines. And then and then somebody wanted to disrupt the market and produce these PCs that were only being sold for, what, $2,000 a pop at a fraction of the computing power. But that's what really opened up that massive market to, to the masses and made it affordable. And that's, that is true disruptive innovation. And I'm sure many people would have heard of Professor Clayton Christensen, who wrote The Innovator's Dilemma. And, and he spoke a lot about his main, amazingly brilliant man who died in the last year or so. He, he spoke about creating a separate business unit for uh, new product development and innovation like that because of the culture. Right, because if you're in a large organization, some of the some of the folks will be quite protective over what they've got and not think about the customer as a whole or the business innovation and business benefits as a whole, but hang on to their particular silo or product or part of the organization. And you're gonna get that clash. And that's why um, Professor Christensen suggested or recommended a separate division. But I also believe, and I've, I've done this, and this is what I believe makes the biggest difference to the success in organizations, is to work within the culture that you've got. So figure out the culture, figure out, and I always say to, to folks, choose the top three words that will describe the culture, right? If you're going to choose only three words, find those three words that are the, the makes the the most, that's most distinctive about the place that you're in implementing something, right? And then play to those issues, those um, descriptors, play to them. For example, if you're in an organization that is highly risk averse, right? So I'm thinking of one organization where I worked in where they're very resistant to new ideas, very, very, very cautious. And it's a government organization. And in fact, it, because of the scrutiny of the community and stakeholders, they're very front and center and had to be really careful. They have a, a product and that services the community 
and we were in there to change it. And they were extremely resistant to having new people that had consultant reports before. They, I saw them. There were three of them. They were just gathering dust. They all said roughly the same thing from three different consultancies and nobody had ever done anything with it. They uh, didn't want to be told to do anything different. They didn't want to change. The executive um, vice president of the division had got me in there and, yeah, and my team. And they just looked at us as if we were out of space. And by working with them, they were risk averse. They were, they were also very anti-innovation. They were as anti-innovation as you can get. But they were good people and they believed they were doing a good difference, made a difference in there and they were highly committed. So I think that's, those were the descriptors I'd use. And because they were highly committed to the organization, we partnered with them and lifted their skills and didn't just tell them what to do, but worked with them. And that brings me to the second, you know, factor, which is the co-design. Get out of the dark room. Don't just do it, develop the, the new product on your own and then go out there and announce it to the organization. If you're developing a product or changing a product, talk to people in the organization, get them on board. And we did that with this team and it was incredibly successful transformation of their business. And, and that included when we did a presentation, we needed to present the progress to the executive vice president. That was in the city all of the this unit were somewhere somewhere separate. I got them all on the train. Sydney's got a great train system. And I put them all on the train. The team of about a dozen of us all went up to head office to do that presentation. And everybody had a tiny little role, even if it was minor. And at first, there was a lot of skepticism, like, why are you doing this? Why are you bringing so many people to a meeting? They're such junior people. This was a really senior group of stakeholders. We just want the top level. Anyway, the, the difference it made, the smile on people's faces, the executive director seeing for themselves, it was really good of them to agree to this, and the difference it made for the people because it wasn't their work that was being shown by somebody else. They were able to be the stars, and so they should. And, and so that is how you can take a culture, even though they're risk-averse, even though they were very consultant-averse, the, the pride that they had in their area was the trigger that we used, right? The hook that we used. So culture can be a huge force for change, even the least innovative cultures, if you find that hook that you can work with. And that's what I'm all about, right? Is And when you do that, the, that's when the magic happens and that's when you get success because everybody's got a stake in it, right? So it can't fail. There's two things you said about culture and your approach that very much resonated with me. And one is the, this notion of partnering with them, that they're doing the work together, right? The I have the RPM experience. You were very kind to reference that again, that I do with organizations. This started way back when as a three-day workshop I would do with companies. And companies would and still do ask if I would help with such things because they want their people trained about product management practices. But the challenge I found was in three days, we do this great workshop, everyone's excited and, and loves it, and very little actually changes afterwards. We're not implementing the new ideas. And instead, if we can not purposely stretch it out, but do it over a period of time where they can engage in the concepts and apply them to the work that they're doing, we actually see more change going on, right? And so getting them involved in that, I think, is really important related to that. But the second part was you're not telling them the answer per se. You're letting them uncover it in a way that fits their culture and their needs and what's going on. It sounds that partnering approach again, bringing in the different disciplines to it. 
Exactly. So that covers the culture aspect and the co-design aspect, right? And people mm-hmm. hear co-design, co-creation, design thinking, that's at the top of the list of innovation techniques in, in, in product management. However, I'm not sure how much is actually happening as true co-design versus, oh, we'll go there, we'll do a bit of consult- consultation, and then we'll come back and we'll go back into the dark room versus true partnering. I've always felt, as you, if you're the expert in the room helping with this, and from my perspective, if I give them the answer to the problem, it's not nearly as effective if they come up with the 75% answer themselves. Absolutely. If they come up with something that gets them moving, that's so much better. That's why I'm a big fan of yours, Chad, because that's that's the approach that works. Yeah, that really does. We got the culture piece. We might go back to some aspects, the multidisciplinary approach. We need to get people involved in this and, and play into their desires to be a part of this in a way that makes sense, being alert to that those culture elements that are there too. And then get out of the dark room, I think you phrased it. I did, yes, into a real co-design and co-creation. Can I talk to a little bit more about multidisciplinary skills? Because yeah, we please. haven't really covered that one sufficiently. And that is very important. And there's a, a model that I shared with you if you want to do put it up on the screen oh, for the folks that are, are um, watching. And I'll describe it to the folks that are listening. So what Chad's putting up on the screen is a model. It's the Future Builders Transformation Framework. And this is the overarching framework that I use in my mentoring of leaders and it's the overarching framework that I use in my turbocharge your transformation membership which is a a membership offering that I have which is for folks it's for executives and managers working in the transformation space that want to lead implementation faster and better and the way to do that to any kind of implementation to turbocharge it requires three perspectives so the model that that chad's got up has got three simple circles business change and project and then that all sits within the sea of what's called culture and i've explained to you the context of culture and why that's so important and that you have to work within the existing culture that you've got before you can even think about a cultural transformation and that is so important whether you're doing a digital transformation whether you're doing a new product development and launch in any of that now the three circles what we're looking for is an approach in the middle so if you think of the three circles like a venn diagram we're looking for the overlap in the middle and it's going to sound in this session, Chad, like I'm here just to, to refer to how wonderful you are. But I have to say that your approach to like you have in your product management and in, in this in, in your work is it's a very multidisciplinary approach, which is why you're getting folks like me out of a bit of left field almost. What have I got to do with product management? Actually, implementation, transformation is everything to do with it. Absolutely. Because we make change. Exactly. But people who are very myopic around around product management won't necessarily see that view. So what we need to be able to deliver successful transformation every time is to take those three perspectives and make sure that if we don't have them, then we are we have surround ourselves with people who have them. So very briefly, a business perspective is that strategic business commercial perspective, right? So that is whoever the business owner of that product is at the end of the day, that 
those that person or people they need to be and that understanding of the business context needs to be injected into the into the product development into the transformation and it sounds obvious but it doesn't always happen because those business executives are so busy with business as usual that they don't always have the time to do that and the people that are running the development don't always have that strategic business context or enough of the business acumen. So if, for example, if we're talking about an engineering team with a software product, that will be a very technical team, but they may not have the, the full subject matter expertise around the business that's so critical. Second one is change. So that gives you the precision around the, around the transformation, the business focus. Second circle is the is that I'll talk about is in, in no particular order really. It's a business kind of is at the top because that's always the that's the overarching context. But then in no particular order, there's change in project circles. So the change circle is all about getting in people involved in that co-design so that you can build momentum. Okay, so we spoke about that one. And then the last one, which I haven't spoken about, is project management or project governance. And I'm not talking about bureaucracy here. I'm talking about project management skills that builds in the traction. So you've got the business focus to give you the precision, you've got the change focus to give you momentum, and you've got the project focus to give you that traction or glue for the implementation. And all of that is sitting within that sea of culture. And if you can do that, you can attune those approaches to the culture that you're in, that's when you get that flywheel to return on investment and innovation. And we will have this graphic for listeners in the resources you can download at productmasterynow.com slash 465. That's a very helpful model to think about the core elements you need, the business. I think about the business aspect showing up at the table, in part sharing those strategic objectives, what is important to the organization and helping the product people or the other change that might be going taking place, why that support to align to that the change that we're taking to get the people involved in that in the co-design. And then nothing happens if we just bring good ideas to the table and say, you know, let's do this, and no one is there to actually do it. And so the project people to actually build a plan and put things into action. That's exactly right. And really, in our complex environment at the moment, no one discipline is enough. So just having, think of that the T-shaped model of skills. If uh-huh. you're just that specialized vertical part of the T or specialization, so say you're a marketing-focused product manager sitting in a marketing division and you've got those strong marketing product marketing skills, it's not enough just to think from that perspective. You've got to go to the horizontal axis of the T. I'm waving my hands in the air for those of you listening. And that horizontal, that's the breadth of skills that is so important to be able to absolutely nail the implementation. Really good. Culture and multidisciplinary approach. Where do we go next? So those are the three things I guess you asked me around okay. the three main tactics that I that I would take to get a to, to have to ensure that you're going to get the success of the initiative. I can give you some examples if you want, or I can give you an example of if you want to talk about that more. Um, yeah, that'd be excellent. Before an example, I'm, I'm curious about where you get engaged in the organization, right? The When you're talking about the government organization, it sounds like there were several people that were involved that were more junior. But when we're talking about change, you, usually we need uh, the, the, some top-level support. Where do you find is helpful to start when change is necessary, who needs to be a part of that? 
Okay, so there's lots of questions bundled into that, Chad. It's a good one. Where I get involved is I used to be running the projects, the programs of change, of transformation. So I used to work as a, as a program director, if you like, and head up the for the business leader or, or vice president and run the, the projects for them. And then increasingly over the years, I've done more and more mentoring of people that are in the business uh, to run it themselves. And then I fade out. And now what I've done over the last few years is just focus on the mentoring of those leaders. So either the, the vice presidents, the business leaders or the program directors who are running these programs. So what? So that's what, 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 how I get involved usually is from one of those people. Sometimes it's somebody working on the project who contacts me and says, this is so disorganized, Lisa. I don't know what I'm meant to be doing. The one side doesn't know what the other side's doing. We can't get anywhere. We keep talking about the same things. We're not getting any momentum. Nobody's interested. We've got all this resistance. And that's so the requests can come from anywhere in the organization. When you, when I work with the, the folks, so, so I'm more and more working with the business leaders. They, but there's a requirement to work with everybody at all levels, really, because if you don't, you're missing out on such important input. In one organization, we we were doing a big cultural change because we we had the sense from a, a, a culture survey that the the culture was very anti-innovation, and we had the sense that there was things going on in there that were that we needed to figure out what, what to do specifically. So we ran these focus groups and we started at the bottom of the organization with blue collar workers and then worked our way up. And each group, we then recorded what they said, got somebody else voiceover who, so we couldn't sort of protect the identity of the people. And then we played to their managers what was going on. And then the managers reacted to that and spoke about their issues. And then we played it up and we did that for the five different levels of the organization until actually the board listened to some of these things and people's mouths dropped open and we heard in, in we heard things like you didn't load the truck with the correct product can't you read you effing idiot now excuse the, the french but the words were actually said they were recorded and they were actually played up eventually to the board right? That people, there were managers there that were instilling a fear-based culture and that there were a number of illiterate blue-collar workers and that is not a very um, sensitive way to handle, to embarrass people in public like that. So you can get some really, really confronting behaviors. And we ran this program at the end of it we we did some videos of some of the staff and you have I remember one burly tattooed from head to toe forklift driver and he said on the video he said I used to be scared to come to work and now I feel like my team's got my back it's like you see that sort of yeah that kind of change and it's very heartwarming but the only way you can and oh and the productivity skyrocketed right in that area so but it's only through talking to people at all different levels that you can really unpack what that's what's actually happening sure. yeah yeah and they've got great ideas 
I love getting the information at each level and reporting that up and making aware of what is actually going on internally in the organization to people who are probably not aware. Really good idea. Okay. You said you might have an example. You would, that was a good example itself. I don't know if there was something else you were thinking about that you might want to take us through. Oh, I could keep going. There's one um, quality review, a quality program that was going on in a large organization um, that distributed a number of, of products. And um, they weren't getting any momentum. And so they, the program director, program leader called me in to look and help them figure out what was going on. And what was happening, there, there was lots of noise around what they could do differently and lots of detail. But the main value there, the main issue that they hadn't tackled was understanding that they've got a, it was a large organization, over 100,000 people, very decentralized PL units. And they hadn't tapped into that culture that each part of the business is almost like its own mini business. And unless mm-hmm. you get every single business unit leader, business head to take on this project and champion it and say, this is what we need to do, you're not going to get the buy-in. So I asked to see their stakeholder engagement, their stakeholder list of how they were managing the stakeholders. And there were 65 odd people on that list. Hmm. And each one, no wonder, because they're trying to manage each one separately. Yeah. And the people that needed the attention weren't getting the right attention. And the people that could have been handled differently in, in grouped forums, it just wasn't well structured. Yeah, and they weren't tailoring the messages to the divisions so that they could drive the change in their divisions. And as a result, it's almost like that prey and spray approach. We spray all this these change management frameworks and these approaches, and then we think we just pray that it's all going to work, right? And that, that doesn't work. Unless you understand the culture, remember, culture can be a prison or a playground for innovation. That is a very good quote for us to keep in mind, too, a prison or a playground. I appreciate you sharing that with us, too. As you were talking about that, I thought, how many times it seems to me that the notion of good salespeople comes up as a ingredient to problems we just encounter? And I say that as someone who, as an engineer, saw no utility in salespeople and have since seen it reflected like, oh, internally, there's so many opportunities that are really problems that we run into that could be helped if we had a sales perspective brought in, right? <laughs> How can we think about putting this in terms to attract the people to it like salespeople are good at? I appreciate all the information. The framework you shared will have uh, details of that graphic as well in the notes. What is, we just did one, one quote, but what is a innovation quote that you have to share with us? I always ask guests for this and would love to know what you brought and what that means to you. The one on my that I use all the time and I've got on um, my brochure, I do a lot of work in the B2B SaaS market, software as a service, technology businesses. And so borrowed from the technology industry, you can't get to the unicorn zone by pushing, hard, by, by pushing harder. You must create a pull effect. So you can't get to the unicorn zone by pushing harder. You must create a pull effect. What that's saying is I assume you want me to talk. Yeah, what please, does it mean yeah. to you, by the way? I'd love to hear. What do you think when you hear that? Well, especially in the SaaS context, you're probably talking about maybe some network effects. But anytime we have any sort of product out there, we need customers. We speed up, if I will, before we speed up our fly of customer acquisition and adoption 
if we get customers speaking on our behalf, basically, and saying, we love this, we're telling our friends about this, we want more of this. Yes, so that is absolutely right. If you look at it from the customer angle that we want customer pull, exactly. Mm -hmm. We also want internal pull, not push. So Mm. people work harder and harder to try and get to this unicorn magic zone, right, where everybody is going to adopt their new product or adopt their new sales approach or adopt their new structure or new strategy or whatever. And they push, 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 and and then they don't get the adoption that they're looking for. We've got to create a pull-demand effect where people are so excited and engaged that they are pulling for, they're asking for it, they're demanding it, they're wanting to be involved internally. And the way to do that through a lot of the techniques I've, I've described, so get out of the dark room, work with the culture, have a multidisciplinary perspective, and get that support from the people because execution is hard and it's even harder to do alone. So you've got to get the teams around you, get cross-functional working groups around you, build internal communities and those internal communities, project communities inside the business, cross-functional, you then got all those multidisciplinary skills. It's beautiful. And people, while you're building the product, are already changing the way they're working because they're seeing the direction you're headed and they're tweaking Uh what they're doing without even realizing it. That by the time your strategy is complete or your structure is complete or your product's complete, they're they're champions of it. They're already doing the they're already thinking they were in the shower and they're thinking about the how they're gonna sell the product. Right? So you're talking about getting salespeople on board. You don't have to go through the whole education cycle afterwards. You probably do a little bit, but you don't have to do it to that extent because they're already on board. So that's why that pull effect is so powerful. And I was listening to one of the podcasts on, on one of your podcasts with a Canadian talking about Lego and mm. you know the wonderful Lego community. And you spoke about how your son's part of that community. And Lego do that amazingly, their community. And I, I read in the MIT Sloan Management Review recently an example where they give 1% of the revenue to the customers for coming up with these ideas. How good is that? It's just a win. And you can create that win internally in organizations as well by building internal communities. That's a key part of what I teach people because I've got, I do the mentoring and then I've got my turbocharge, your transformation membership. And I teach that because it's such an important part of change and people don't always think of it. They think of pushing change frameworks and that's, you know, it, it's not about the framework. It's not about the output. It's about the it's about what you do. It's the outcome. Creating pull, getting people excited and engaged. Yeah. I like that. So that's really good. Speaking of more frameworks, where's the best place for or places for people to go to find out more about the work and the resources you have? Okay, great. Thank you for asking, Chad. If you Google to turbocharge your transformation, I'm very happy to see that we're coming up at the top. And that is the name of the membership academy that I've got. It's a low cost way currently for folks, it's only 99 US dollars a month. And I've priced it so low because I am absolutely keen to get more people on scale 
implementing correctly, implementing successfully, implementing faster. So that's where they can go. They can also go to my website, which is www.futurebuildersgroup.com. And if you look at the turbocharge section, you'll see all about the, the um, Turbocharger Transformation Membership Academy and, and my contact details are there as well. Okay, futurebuilders.com. It's a great compliment to what you're doing as well, Chad, because when people have done a, your mastery program and they've, they've, they've done the nine weeks and they've really taken a multidisciplinary approach to product and they've had the journey, so they've spent the time doing that and, they've, and it's really embedded into their practice, then they take one step broader than that and say, look, I actually want to be a transformation leader in the organization now. I want to take a step out of that. And then I run masterclasses all all virtually at a time that suits the US time zone. So I've got US and, and Mexican members and, and European members. Yeah, well, that's it's, it's a great option for people who want a more multidisciplinary, culturally friendly approach. And it's a great way to also further develop your leadership capabilities and have more responsibilities in the organization. Yeah. One thing to develop a product, it's another thing to develop an organization. And that's really what we're talking about when we're transforming aspects of the organization. I appreciate the resources. They're going to be a great help to people. And we'll make sure links are in show notes. And Lisa, once again, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Chad. And listeners, you can find those resources at productmasterynow.com slash 465. That's the written notes and the one-page action guide. And as always, keep innovating. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.